Welcome to Cardboard Conjecture. We're a podcast about board games where we have opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information. This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is brought to you by these great Saskatoon businesses. Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street, Dragon's Den Games on 8th Street, and Breakout Escape Rooms on Faithful Avenue. Well, hello there. How's it going, eh? This is What You've Been Playing Wednesday, and this is a special weekly episode that's a compilation of all the board games that we've been recently playing. And we are very proud to announce a new member to the What You've Been Playing cast, the Tabletop Bellhop. And contributing on this episode are Board on the Air, Friday Night Games, the Tabletop Bellhop, Definitely a board game podcast. Matthew Legault. Covery of Dyson Men. The Meeple Dungeon. Dyson Dragons. And Cardboard Conjecture. Remember to check out the show notes for the links to all of the content of the What You've Been Playing Wednesday cast. So go pour yourself a coffee and grab yourself a pastry and have a listen to what's been hitting the table lately. Hi, I'm Shay. And I'm David. And we are Board on the Air, a weekly radio show in Saskatoon. And this is What Have You Been Playing? On tonight's show, we will be talking about Flam Rouge. The Flam Rouge. The Flam Rouge. The only cycling game. <laughs> yeah, I... There's a mountain bike one, actually, that's coming out, I think. But is there? I've yet to see another cycling I game. I think there's a mountain bike one coming out, but I don't know whether it's by an actual board game company or if it's just a random Kickstarter I saw, but um, I think there's one out there. But uh, there's not many other cycling games, you know? Okay, this is a card game. Yes. Uh, you have... It, it's, it's for basically up to 12 people. Uh, mm-hmm. If you're a more more than six, you're only controlling one racer. One racer. If you're under six, you're controlling two. Yeah. Uh, a sprinter and a rouge, which is, is that a roller. Isn't that what they call it? Roller rouge. They, they yeah. use both. They, you got the sprinter and you got the the endurance rider. Yeah. Basically, your grinder up front who's pulling the sprinter along so he can sprint at the end. Yeah. Uh, both decks are very different. Uh, in that. The sprinter has slow cards and fast cards, and the the roller has all medium cards. Yeah, so what the cards have on them is a number that relates to how many spaces they can move. Yes. Uh, so on your turn, you're going to play, if say, we'll say you're controlling two people, right? Uh, you'll play a card for your sprinter and a card for your roller. Yeah. And those characters will then move up on the racetrack that you have set in front of you. Exactly. And you're going to do them each separately. So you'll play one, then pick up the next hand and play one then. Uh, so you you have an idea of what you're going to play, but not completely. Yeah. And the, the way the turn order goes is based on where your characters are. Yeah. You go from the start of the pack to the end of the pack. Yeah. Uh, and then after everybody's played their cards, you get into some drafting. So if you're within one tile, it pulls you forward. If you aren't, it doesn't. We should clarify drafting in the cycling sense and not in the card drafting sense. You are not drafting cards after. Yes. You are draft in the draft of yes. the cyclist in front of you. Uh, 
we have played this with pretty much every player count. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we, we are cyclists, and therefore this game goes over very well with us and our friends. Yes, we, we do a lot of cycling, and we've had a full 12 people playing this game at a time. Yeah. Which is chaotic, but also awesome. It's wonderful. Yeah. Uh, past that, it is very true to cycling. Yeah, and there are um, different maps, right, yes. that do affect it, which, again, plays into that whole cycling feel. Uh, is the expansion the one with the terrain? Uh, there, yeah, and the, yeah. the expansion Peloton has, uh, or Peloton, yep. has uh, cobblestones and yeah. different stuff along so those So in lines. the base game, there is uphills and downhills, yeah. which uphills you can only move you can move a maximum amount of spaces so if you play a seven you can only move i think a five isn't it four I think. is it four yeah you yeah. can only move four even if you play a bigger card uh and on the downhills you move a minimum amount of spaces well you get plus two i believe it is oh is it plus two i thought it was just minimum i think it amount. is yeah um so yes you get bonuses there and then in the expansion you get terrain so again that will affect how far you can go uh, and as well as I think you get bottlenecks in that one too, where it will yeah. squish you. So usually it's a two lane, two or three, two lane, right? Usually, usually anywhere it's two from lane. two to three. Usually it's two lane. It'll go down to one lane or it will expand. And the reason this matters is like most games like this, you can't land on a space with somebody on it. You have to land on an empty space, which means if you're going to land where somebody else is, you go behind them. And really this plays a factor when there's a bunch of bikes or cyclists out on the course. Yeah. Because you'll have five of them in a row lined up and somebody plays a four and will finish in the middle of that pack and get bumped all the way back to the end of that. So they're yeah. they're wasting their, sp their cards, basically. Absolutely. Uh, the newest expansion, which we haven't used yet, is Mateo. And this one adds weather. Oh, yes. And, and crashes. So you get the good Saskatchewan wind. Yes. Right? That's an actual card in it for sure. For Saskatchewan sure. Saskatchewan wind. Yeah, Saskatchewan wind. You can move <laughs> one. <laughs> uh, that is Flam Rouge in a nutshell. nutshell. Yep. Uh, one of our favorite racing games by far. Yeah. We play it all the time. Um, I like it better than, um, well, I don't know if I've played Formula D. What's the other driving one that we have? The rolling the dice one. Is that Formula D? Yeah. Okay, sorry. That's the one I have played. Uh, love this game. I'd say the only thing anybody ever has any issues with it is that the characters like to break. Yeah, the the pieces are okay, and the cost for this game is not cheap. Yeah. Uh, for what you get in the game, it's, it's a stronghold game, and I find their games are a little bit overpriced for what you're getting. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is Flamme Rouge. I am David. And I'm Shay. Have a great night. Hey everyone, Matt and John here, Friday Night Games. And you can check us out on Twitter at Friday Night GMS, Twitch at Friday Night GMS, and Instagram at Friday Night Games underscore official. And don't forget our website, FridayNight.Games. Uh, we're here to tell you about what we played this week, which was Rallyman GT, a push your car and your luck to the limits in a daring race to the finish line. 
Yeah, very cool. The game is actually a remake of a 2008 racing game. To play, it's very simple. Uh, you line up your cars on the track and you build a track out of a bunch of hexagons and you race around the board. First person across the finish line wins. You could do it in one, uh, one race around the board or as many as you want, or even over a set of races. Basically how it's played is um, players line their cars up at the starting line and then you're gonna anticipate your moves using dice available for you based on the car that you're driving. Um, so you lay out uh, dice as act as your gears um, and you want to try to uh, get the furthest along the track uh, as much as you can. Um, planning out your gears and then you roll your dice to see if you can achieve that and some, some dice will allow you to move forward others will give you like a warning signal and then once you get an x amount of warnings uh, you get a damage to your car depending on where you are on the track. And you wipe out to gear zero or double zero, which may make you miss a turn or not. Um, also, all your gears have to be lined in ascending or descending order. There's also a coast die, which keeps your speed, and brake die to bring it down quickly. Yeah, there are some turns in the game uh, when you're turning corners that you have to enter that space at a certain speed limit or you can wipe out. Um, so you really have to plan accordingly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. So I think um, there's also pit stops too, which can also fix your vehicle. Um, so talking about what we played wrong, um, I know the, the toughest concepts of the game are technically perfect uh, lining, which is that entering corners at a certain speed. Yep. That is uh, one of the tougher aspects to understand. And then the other tough aspect to understand is uh, when to bring your car into a pit stop. I haven't done that yet in a game, and I still <laughs> don't understand how to do it. So it basically, you like turn your car down to one, and then you can go into pit stop. But I'm not sure if you have to wait out a turn or not. But yeah, well, yeah, we didn't utilize it in the game, so I wouldn't know. Yeah, the weather. The game also has uh, different types of weather, and that you can pull out upon damaging your vehicle, and you can switch tires too, which is pretty cool. So. Yeah, anything that uh, you love about the game, Matt? Uh, I like how easy it is. Once you understand the game, it's super easy to set up, super easy to play. Like, think about it. Me and you sat down, played a game in an hour. Yeah, and that and was I just, taught you yeah. how to play. <laughs> uh, I like the how competitive it can be, um, especially when you are pretty neck and neck along the track and, like, really planning out your turn to be able to speed by the, the, your opponent. Um and I would like to play with more people. I think it'd be a little bit more fun just with the more cars on the track. Um, but the one downside I saw, especially if you have a person that likes to really think about their turns, that there could be a lot of downtime. So if you add more people, that's just gonna add that that downtime element. Yeah, I totally noticed that like two people was good, but it wasn't as fun because there wasn't enough cars on the track. Yeah. And just like you're saying, uh, if you added like, the game could go up to six, and actually, I think it go up to like 12 with an expansion, but I think that's way too many. I think because yeah. you think of one person's planning out his moves, the other people are just sitting around, right? So, you know, six times five, that's the time between your turn. No, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Don't bring back Firefly memories. Yeah. <laughs> John's referring to a time we played Firefly with 10 people and our turns were two hours. <laughs> two hours to a turn. But... Yeah, I, I think, like, I really, I can say, uh, I think at three people, or f I would say three people would be the sweet spot. Yeah, three people. Three people. Maybe four. Yeah, maybe four, depending on how quick the, the people are, are at playing the game. 
One thing I really like too is the game is super customizable. They already have like four or five expansions out there and like two new cars. And they have another version coming out, uh, Rallyman Dirt, which is which has like water terrain and mud terrain. So it has like a little bit of cool. Oh, and like incline and decline. So you have to take a lot of that stuff into account. Oh, that's kind of cool too. Yeah. I, I think I was actually one of my, I didn't mention in why I like the game, but uh, the modular board. So you build your track as you go along, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah. Too. So it was a big, different game every time you play. And that's part of the expansion too. They add on like different uh, obstacles or new new challenges. And then there's like a world tour pack you can get to, which adds even more track pieces and tells you how to lay out your campaign, basically. <laughs> nice. So I like I like like for for the price point of what what I got for fifty dollars. Yeah. Canadian was awesome. Yeah, I don't know if I would get any of the expansions, but uh, they do sound interesting. Well, I feel like if you're the type of person who brings this out, like, think about it, this could be a game that you bring out all the time, and if you do, then maybe the expansions are worth it worth it to pick up, but if, if you don't, then... Yeah, then not. Yeah, exactly. So, like, for us, it wouldn't be worth it, because we play a lot of games. Right. If we ever came back to this, you know, would we? <laughs> <laughs> right, so... All right, so we are Matt and John for Friday Night Games. Again, you can check us out on Instagram, Friday Night Games underscore official, Twitter and Twitch at Friday Night GMS, and our website, FridayNight.Games, and our podcast launches every Friday on your favorite streaming platform. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Eh? Hello and welcome to the Tabletop Bellhop segment of What You've Been Playing Wednesday. I am Mo Tuzano, the Tabletop Bellhop, your cardboard concierge, answering your gaming and game night questions and striving to make everyone's gaming experience better. You can find me at tabletopbellhop.com and all over the internet and social media as Tabletop Bellhop One Word. If you've got a gaming or game night question for me to answer, send that question to questions at tabletopbellhop.com or visit the webpage and click on Ask the Bellhop. The question I'm answering tonight, of course, is what you've been playing this past week. Now, due to the pandemic and various levels of lockdown, not a lot has been hitting my game table lately. This past week, though, I did get a chance to record five unboxing videos, the first of which is already live on YouTube, which features Legendary Metal Coin Season 6 that's currently live on Kickstarter from Draw Lab Entertainment. In addition to that, I also opened up the new edition of World's Fair 1893, Magical Kitties Save the Day, Great Western Trail, and Quacks of Quedlinburg. A big thanks to everyone who joined me for that live recording on Twitch. At this point, I punched and read the rules for World's Fair 1893 and Quacks, so I figured I'd take this opportunity to share some very initial thoughts. Starting with World's Fair 1893. Now, Renegade Game Studios was awesome enough to send me a review copy of this new Amazon-exclusive second edition of the game. Now, somewhere along the way, I read something wrong or I got confused as I thought this was supposed to be a deluxe edition. I thought it was World's Fair Deluxe. I learned during the unboxing video that that's not actually the case. Instead, what we have is a more socially responsible version of the game that includes a more diverse group of influential people from that time period including a number of people that would have been banned from the actual fair due to their gender and or skin color. Now, I think this is a fantastic change, and I am happy to see it. 
And I think it's great that Renegade actually got an exclusive deal with Amazon. I'm sure that was rather lucrative for them. But I was really hoping for an upgraded game as well. Now what I need to do next is actually sit down and compare my original printing of the game with this new one to see if there is anything except for the new cards added and the card swapped out. It is possible there are some minor improvements I didn't notice. Again, to be fair, nowhere has Renegade said this was a deluxe edition, just a second edition, and it's my mistake of expecting more than was promised by them. Next up is Quacks of Quedlinburg, which people have been telling me to play for a long time. Uh, during the unboxing, I noted the rules seem surprisingly short. While there may not be a lot of pages, I've got to say these rules are surprisingly dense. There is a lot more going on here than I expected. I was expecting a much lighter pusher luck um, style game than what it actually is. And I'm really impressed by the number of different books, ingredients books, that you can swap around each game. Because this is going to make this game very replayable. I'm actually reminded of the monument boards in Imhotep with which the expansion gives you uh, 1,028 possible combinations, I am certain there are way more possible com combinations here in Quacks of Quedlinburg. Now, I do expect to get this to the table over the weekend, so we should be sharing, my, or sorry, I should be sharing my initial thoughts next week. Well, that's all I've got for this week. Find lots more gaming content at tabletopbellhop.com, and be sure to check out the Tabletop Bellhop Gaming Podcast, which we record live Wednesday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern, on Twitch, with edited episodes showing up on your podcatchers every Tuesday morning. For the Tabletop Bellhop Gaming Podcast, I am Mo Tuzano, the Tabletop Bellhop, your cardboard concierge. Good night, and game on. I am Aaron Millick. And I'm Royce Calverly. And we are definitely a board game podcast. A podcast definitely about board games, except when they're not. And we're here for another What You've Been Playing Wednesday. Royce, <laughs> what you been playing Wednesday? What have I been playing? I have been playing a game by my all-time favorite designer. I have been playing a game by Uwe Rosenberg. Nice. Uh, it was released by Lookout Games 2020. I have been playing Hallertau. What is a Hallertau? Yeah, Hallertau. What is uh, that? This is a game in his uh, farming simulation series uh, of games. So Agricola, Caverna, uh, Feast for Odin, Gates of Loyang. I'm sure I'm missing at least one in there somewhere. It's a big box game. These are the games that I love by Uwe. I like mm -hmm. his little games. I like his medium ones, but his big ones are the they're, – they're perfect for me. They're exactly what I'm looking for. Right. And Hallertau surprised me. Oh, it is, I think, Uve's hardest game. Uh oh. If you are looking for a challenge, mm. this is the one. I, I, sorry, I need to be clear. I don't mean hard in like hard to learn. It's actually really easy to learn. And I don't mean hard in like complicated. It's actually a fairly simple game to play. But if you want to get a good score, you need to work at it. You need to be efficient. You need to synchronize everything together. You need to be chaining stuff together. It is a incredibly interesting puzzle to solve to get a good score. And I'm really excited to play this more. I Between my first and my second game, I almost doubled my score. That's how much wow. I learned one to the other. Every time I play, I learn a little bit more. 
Uh, it has a couple things that are really unique that I haven't seen anywhere. It has a worker placement system where every time you take an action, it gets more expensive. Mm. And the workers stay on there. They're not yours. They're just general workers. So they just mm. occupy space and make it more expensive as the game goes on. And it has a card system where you can play the cards anytime. There's no rules on when you can play the cards. Oh, it's wow. really cool. So I, I really like it. I think it's a really neat game. If you like Uve's stuff, if you're looking for a, ch a challenge, something that you can really play with and make it good, make it skillful, Hallertau is definitely it. Right. So not one of his typical smaller polyomino games. They oh, no, it's not a polyomino yeah. thing. No, no, it's no Spring Meadow. It's, it's <laughs> a real game. <laughs> <laughs> no Spring Meadow. It's a real game. All right. Well, I've been playing a game on Wednesday. I got to admit, I don't love it. I've oh. given it a few tries. It's called The Fox in the Forest by Joshua Burgel. And uh, I am a big Euchre guy. Love Euchre. And so yep. when someone told me that there was a trick-taking game for two players, I'm like, excellent. My wife and I can play this game. It'll be great. And the, the box looks great. The cards look great. Basically, all you're doing is, you know, you're trying to get a certain amount of tricks. You don't want all of them because then you get zero points. You definitely don't want to get no tricks because you get zero points. But if you get somewhere in that sweet spot in the middle, there are different point values for how many tricks you get. And all the odd cards, all the odd number cards have different little things you can add to the game. Like you can change the Trump suit or you can, there's a, by the way, there's only three suits in this one, not four. Just to, if you play Euchre, it's going to make your, your head swim. <laughs> um, but all these odd cards have little things on them to give you advantages and, and to change this, do that. And so it helps you achieve the goal you want to achieve. And I got to say, uh, I don't know. Maybe I've just been playing Euchre too long. Uh, I, I've given it a couple of tries now. I think the wife likes it more than I do, which is saying a lot because she hates Euchre. Uh, but yeah, just not really not really for me. I, I, I've given it a good a couple of tries and it's just not feeling it. And I can't really explain why. I'm just not connecting. So, And it's funny because I bought it from someone who said the exact same thing. <laughs> I wasn't connecting with them. So... I, I, I almost feel a little guilty because, you know, I, uh, well, I was one of the people that recommended it to you. <laughs> Good. Do you want it? So, well, yeah. <laughs> Great. It's yours. I'll give it to you next now time. Now I feel less guilty. So you buy a game that I recommend. You didn't like it very much, but now I get a copy of the game. Yay! Yeah. It's a win-win situation. And it's like this, a third generation game. It's already been through a bunch of people, so it's all yours. You can have it. So Royce does recommend Howler Tau by Uve. Who wouldn't recommend an Uve game? Uh, but I unfortunately am giving a strong pass to The Fox in the Forest by Joshua Virgil. And hopefully that's and okay. I'm going to have to come back and tell you guys how great a game it is because, you know, maybe I I did this on purpose. I don't know. But no, <laughs> I really thought you would like it. I'm glad I'm getting it, but I thought you would like yeah, it. Yeah, it's all good. We gave it a try and it was fine. So anyway, if you want to hear more, uh, you can always check us out at at board definitely at uh, twitter.com uh, you can uh, email us at definitelyboard at gmail.com if you want to listen to us that's the best way to check us out you can basically find us on all the streaming services uh, Spotify podcast Apple podcast wherever podcasts are we are there and if you haven't heard it yet you got to go back and listen to episode 26 where we had Jamie Stegmeier on as our special guest it was a great episode 
Yeah, absolutely. Yep. All right. Yeah, we would love to have more listeners. We have a great contingent of listeners that participate in all of our shows, and we love hearing from you. So, yeah, reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. Awesome. All right, we'll see you at the next What You've Been Playing Wednesday. Bye-bye. Hi, everyone. Matthew here from Montreal-based board game publisher Scorpion Masqué. Have you played Decrypto? Do you love it? Do you want to take it to the next level? Well, some of you might not know it, but Decrypto has an expansion. That's right, the only expansion we've ever done for one of our games. It's called Laser Drive, and it introduces new mechanisms into the game, categories. That's right, it makes for a slightly more challenging, but possibly more hilarious game, and it's really well worth picking up. Give it a go. Now, those of you who've been listening to my segment for the last little while might have gleaned that I'm a big fan of Euro games. I mean, I love all kinds of games, but it is true that I have a soft spot for those crunchy, cumbersome victory point generators where min-maxing is the king and end-game multipliers are the queen. Or something. Confinement has also meant that I've been playing a lot online, as I've also mentioned, and Euro games seem to lend themselves very nicely to this kind of setup. So, I've been playing a lot of those kinds of games in the last little while. Now, there was one game that's been floating under my radar for a little while now. There were people I know who have the same kind of tastes as me, uh, and who have said that this was a top three game for them. I mean, that's a pretty shining endorsement. But I don't know if you're like me at all, ever since my sphere of existence has reduced itself from the city of Montreal as a whole to, well, my kitchen table and the sofa beside it, I've been less and less motivated to learn new games. Just the mental effort of looking through a rule book has often been more than I can muster at the end of the day. Learning rules is never an easy thing, but at least back in the day I knew that on Thursday evening I'd have three hungry gamers clamoring at my door to play brand new game X, and if I didn't have the rules down pat, well, there'd be hell to pay. Nowadays I can just meet my friends online and say, Ugh, I couldn't be bothered reading the rules to online game X. You want to just play Trajan instead? And honestly, most of the time, there'd be a visible sigh of relief from them as they didn't really feel like firing up the synapses to learn a new game either. But last week, I took myself by the collar and I shook myself around and I said, Hey, wake up, Matt. Get yourself together and learn a new game. And so I did. And I loved it. And that game was Nippon. Nippon is a 2015 game by Portuguese designers Nuno Bizarro Centeiro and Paulo Soledade, who also made Panamax and Madeira and that was published by What's Your Game. It's an action selection resource management game with an area control element to it. And as many victory points as you can shake a bento box at. Woohoo! Now I'll give you a quick rundown of the rules, but first I have to say that I love the theme. It's so interesting and different than playing any other game about medieval European farmers or, or colonists. Ugh. In the game, you're playing Zaibatsu, the powerful conglomerates of Meiji-era Japan, the period from the 1860s to 1912, which I hope I pronounced correctly. <laughs> and you are working hard to push Japan away from its feudal roots to become an industrially developed country. Spoiler alert, Japan actually did industrialize completely in an incredibly short period of time. Now, because it's a Euro, you're trying to score victory points during three scoring phases, and you do this by having more influence in each of the four regions of Japan than your opponent. You get these influence points by trading in goods that you produce at factories that you've built. The factories produce basic goods like silk and paper, slightly more complex goods like bento boxes and lenses, 
and advanced goods like clocks and light bulbs. What a crazy selection of goods, eh? No wood or sheep to be seen. I love it. Now on your turn, you do one of two things. You can consolidate, or you can take a worker from one of five spaces and select one of the two actions below that space to perform. The last space has only one action. You can build factories, produce with them, increase your mining to get more coal to run your factories. You can increase, increase your knowledge to be able to build more complex goods. You can go up the income track. You can place trains to increase your influence in regions or ships to increase the victory points you get when scoring that region. You place the worker meeple you selected in the first of five spaces on your player board. At a certain point, you'll have to do the other thing I mentioned, which is consolidate, which means clearing out those workers and doing a kind of upkeep, which involves getting income and coal, etc, etc. Now, I won't go into all the mechanisms of the game because it is pretty complex. But once you get the hang of the workings of the game, the strategy is very, very deep. I lost my first game. I got 166 points and Chris got 292. I mean, it was a slaughter. It wasn't even funny. But I don't mind losing my first game. It always takes me some time to get my legs underneath me. I only lost our second game by 17 points, and I look to be on my way to winning our third. There are so many different things to do in this game, and all of them are so satisfying. Like the very clever people we are, all capital letters, we've already determined an incontestable winning strategy that works 100% of the time. Except when you do something tricky and clever like I managed in my second game, and which probably would have got me the win if I was just a little bit smarter and better at playing games. Now, the juiciness in the game comes from timing things properly, making sure that you're grabbing influence just as that scoring phase is coming around, picking up bonuses to drive your machine forward, and keeping an eye on your opponents to see what they can do and what they can't do, and organizing your tactics around that. Oh man, it is a smooth moving game with tons of interesting strategies and just enough moments of analysis paralysis to feel nice and crunchy. The area control influence element creates some real moments of tension in the game as well and makes it a much more interactive experience than a lot of games in this style. Nippon is a fantastic gaming experience and I feel like I'm just scratching the surface of this beautiful design and I can't wait to delve into it in even deeper. Oh, and the rules? Well, thanks a million to Paul Grogan at Gaming Rules for his video that spared us too much thinking and procrastinating. In 20 minutes, we were all taught and ready to go. Kudos to you, Paul. Isn't the modern industrial world a wonderful thing sometimes? <laughs> anyway, thanks very much for listening. This has been Matthew from Scorpio Masque. And as I mentioned off the top, get your hands on LaserDrive, our expansion for Decrypto, the number one party game on BGG. It's really, really well worth it. Thanks to the gang again at Cardboard Conjecture for having me on, and I'll catch you all next time. Hey folks, I'm Ryan of Bridge City Board Gamers and I'm one third of the weekly podcast Cardboard Conjecture where we offer our opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information. We are active on Twitter and Instagram where you can follow us at BC Board Gamers. And we've started uploading some videos onto our YouTube channel as well. Just search up Bridge City Board Gamers. Over the last little while, I would say that 90% of my gaming has been with my five-year-old son. We have a steady playlist of games that he's willing to play at any given time. One of these games is Zombie Kids Evolution, published by Scorpio Masque in 2018 and designed by Anik Lobet, or Lobet, I apologize for the butchering of the name. I briefly highlighted Zombie Kids Evolution last week, so I thought I'd flush out our story just a little bit more this week. 
This game currently sits at, in the top 100 family games and the number one children's game on Board Game Geek. And I think this is for a very good reason. The game is simply just a lot of fun. Your turns are very simple. Roll a die and add a zombie to the board, then move your character into an adjacent space and take out one or two zombies in that space. You know, if there are any. Oh, and if you end your turn in one of the four corner locations with another player, you get to high five them and then lock the gate. This is your goal in the game, lock all four corner gates and you win. You lose however if you need to add a zombie to the board and you just aren't able to. Now, as the title suggests, the game is going to evolve over time. There is a tracking sheet on the back of the rulebook to track your games played. No matter what, no matter what though, win or lose, you get to add a brain sticker to the sheet and progress towards certain spots that picture. You know, an envelope. Once you reach one of those spots, you are able to open an envelope and then it can that will contain some sort of new game mechanics or rules or even components. Now, do you like opening new things in legacy games and you just can't wait to open the next new shiny thing? Zombie Kids Evolution has an achievement system that when you complete one of the many laid out tasks at the end of the game in which you win, you get to add a trophy sticker to the tracking sheet as well as your normal brain sticker, advancing you quicker to those illustrious envelope spots. Now it's this achievement system that I, you know, as the adult gamer playing this game, I really enjoy. It's a callback to my youth playing video games late at night trying to collect all the stars in Super Mario 64. You know, playing along only to realize that certain stars are unattainable until you unlock something else later in the game. And they hit the nail on the head, so to speak, here with this in that regard. Teasing players with achievements that seem impossible to accomplish from the start. The stuff you uncover in these envelopes are what really flush out this game for me and my son. To give a couple little spoilers, you will gain new player powers that really change your gameplay. The zombies will even evolve and now do crazy things when they enter play. Oh, and your character can even be cloned. That's right, cloned during gameplay for a while. Now, my son loves, loves, loves this game and requests to play it quite often. He's an envelope hunter and is always eagerly awaiting when we will unlock the next one. The typical question before starting a game is always, what can we do to get a trophy tonight, Dad? With the game time for a session being only around 15 minutes, it's great for the just before suppers or even before bedtimes. Just an FYI though, uh, games can cause kids to get a little excited and worked up, so playing for before bedtime is at your own risk. Now, the other game that just arrived at my door late last week was Marvel United, published by Come On Games and Spin Master Games in 2020 and designed by the team of Andrea Chiaravesio and Eric Lang. Marvel United is a family-style cooperative game that puts players in the control of some of the iconic superheroes from the Marvel franchise and puts them against some of the iconic villains. Now, the base game of Marvel United has been out in stores for quite some time now due to the Spin Master's involvement with, uh, with the game and being able to distribute it to big box stores. I just recently got my Kickstarter all-in pledge, which included the base game, Stretch Goal Box, and six other expansion boxes. Let's just say there's so much content here that I'll be playing this game for quite a while. Right? Luckily, the game only lasts only about 30 minutes. With 57 different heroes and 27 different villains, the replay value for us is going to be quite high. 
even though there really isn't a huge difference between the character cards themselves. They do have their own signature cards that can only be found in, in their own decks. The villains, on the other hand, are the different enough in what they bring to the game and how the villain wins. After you choose a team of heroes and a villain, you place six random locations of, uh, location tiles around the board forming a circular pattern and populate them with citizens and, I'll just call them, bad guys. On your turn, you will select one card from your hand and play it to the timeline and do the corresponding actions. And there's only three symbols to keep track of. Rescue, fight, and move. Oh, and wild card, I, I guess that's four symbols. What's cool in Marvel United is that the next player to play a card to the timeline also receives the symbols of the previously played card, kind of like a bonus. That is where the coordination between players really comes in handy, possibly setting up the next player to do something really awesome because they themselves don't have those symbols in their hand. Now, in order to defeat the villain, the players need to complete at least two missions to deal the villain damage. Those missions are always the same. Rescue nine civilians, defeat nine, quote-unquote, bad guys, or clear four threats. Once two are completed, now players can deal damage to the villain in the hopes to defeat them before time runs out. My son and I love, love, love this game. I know I said that before, too, with zombie kids. The stories that unfold during gameplay are truly memorable for us, and don't get us wrong, it's not an overly easy game either. When we do win, it's only been down to the wire. Even in our last game that we just played that we won, it was either we win on our turn or the villain wins on theirs. I think that's a pretty good sign of a good cooperative game if I do say so myself. I can really see this being one of those family kid games that my son will grow up and remember back on those times playing. You know, much like myself playing Hero Quest at the Lake or that crummy Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle game that I can't even remember the name of, but I do remember having a blast playing it. Now we patiently wait for the Marvel United X-Men Kickstarter coming soon, because, you know, X-Men, they're awesome. And that's what I've been playing this week. I'm Ryan from the Cardboard Conjecture Podcast, you can find our show on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Podbean, and pretty much every podcast thingamajigger that you can think of. Also, be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at BC Board Gamers to see what we've been up to lately. Okay, folks, I guess we'll hear from me possibly, maybe, sometimes next week. Hello, everybody. My name is Tyler. My name is Ilya. Together, we're a couple who loves board games. Yeah. And we call ourselves Cavre. You can find us on pretty much anything under Cavre or Cavre Studios, but we do make lots of YouTube videos and take pictures of games on Instagram and really chat and get to know everybody, like your folks like yourself. Yeah. Thank you so much for having us on this episode of What You've Been Playing Wednesdays. We're really looking forward to talking about some of the games that we've been playing this week. We tackled two Lacerda games. It's a heavy game week for us, for yeah. sure. What we did today, we want to talk about On Mars and Kanban EV. So which one do you want to talk about? I want to tackle On Mars. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> so On Mars is basically a game where you are working to create settlements in the new planet, well, not new planet, but 
on Mars. <laughs> uh, and you do that through various buildings, um, traveling back and forth to a space station, back onto Mars, and really like dictating how you um, resource manage, um, set out different goals and build so that you can sustain life on Mars. And it's, it's just a blast, but it's such a heavy game. I think it took us, what, like an hour and a half to fully grasp what was going on. Oh, at least. And then, we, and then even after, before that, like we didn't even, we started playing after that hour and a half. Mm -hmm. uh, and I guarantee you there were things that we were probably doing wrong during the whole game as well. But yeah, this was the third Vital Asserter game that we learned. Uh, also illustrated by Ion O'Toole, who does such a good job. Yes, yeah. And I think I found it the toughest to learn. I feel like in the beginning, things were just not clicking for me. Mm -hmm. And the rule books are written really well, like all the other games we've played, and this one included, the rule books are fantastic. Yeah. But something just was not clicking for me, and it wasn't until later, like late into the game, that I'm just like, oh, it's all finally making sense. Yeah. But Oh, it's so, I, I love the thematic integration in this game. It's so, it's just such a blast to play. Yeah, it's, it, it like progressively ramps up too. And think, I think that's like, can be said for all of the games. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but this one in particular, I just felt like it was really cool to see yourself. You have to like decide whether or not you're going to stay in orbit or stay on um, ground. And you get to travel with this little rocket ship that essentially signifies the round that you're in. And I just, I thoroughly enjoyed that, I guess, because it was thematic. Mm -hmm. And uh, because of that, I think it was easier for me to really dive into what the game was trying to do. Uh, so I think I had a harder time with Kanban um, instead of on Mars, but I think mm. you were the other way around, right? I would definitely was. Yeah, so I guess that's a good transition um, to Kanban, Evie. Mm -hmm. And before before we quickly dive into I just want to say that I think it is also a little bit of an engine builder game, and like any good engine builder, uh, you always want to have more turns, and the game always ends a little yeah. bit too early, which we found in Kanban as well. But Kanban is a game where you are in a car factory, and essentially you're this rookie employee who's trying to... <laughs> Learn the ways, get certificates, and impress the managers or the yeah manager, Sandra, who's gonna evaluate you through various departments, hold meetings where you can brag about your accomplishments. And overall, I think the theme really spoke to me. The theme the, in this one is great. Yeah. The um, I think learning this game was the easiest for me out of the three that we know. So we played Lisboa yeah. on Mars and Kanban EV, and learning this one I think for me was an absolute breeze. Yeah, I think once we got through the well. yeah rule book, everything under I understood the connections. I understood how things worked, um, and yeah, I absolutely adore this game. I although we only played it once, <laughs> I don't wanna I don't wanna do my rankings quite yet. But I can see this one definitely contending for that top Vitaliserta game for me, mm. um, just because I really like the interaction of the external character too. So Sandra goes between different departments. And based on where she is, she also does stuff, but then she evaluates the player who is the least certified, which I think is so funny. Um, because if you're slacking, the manager's going to come for you and make sure you're doing That's a not a two-player thing, right? That's no, it's not a, a two-player thing. Yeah. That's, a, that's an every, um, yeah. every variant. Oh, the two-player thing is you can't go where Sandra is. Yes. Yeah, mm -hmm. so I think the reason why I didn't enjoy it as much as you um, 
was because of that. Mm -hmm. Because I, I don't think it clicked for me at the very beginning that I wasn't allowed to put um, my character where Sandra was, so it really messed me up. Um, and then obviously like with games like this, that's they're almost like, if you mess up early, it's hard to like catch up kind of thing. But that said, I really liked the game. It was a lot of fun. And like Ilya said, the theme is absolutely fantastic. And it really feels like you're creating cars. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, there's research and development, logistics. There's just so many different elements of that factory. And yeah, it was a ton of fun. Mm -hmm. I feel like the game did end too early, yes. but like I said before, a good engine builder, the game always ends too early because <laughs> you want to have more and have more of that to grasp. Yeah. Now, that's what leaves you coming back to the game. Yeah. And I think with more of the goals and like both of these have so much replayability in them with different goals and the way that things are set out, I'm really looking forward to trying and playing both of them again. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited to play with more people as well. Mm -hmm. Well, that's been us today, folks. My name is Ilya. My name is Tyler. And together we're Covery. You can check us out on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, pretty much anywhere <laughs> on as Covery or Covery Studios. We review, uh, make videos about games, and generally just love and talk about board games. Yeah, we just love to share our passion. So, have a thanks wonderful, so much. Have a wonderful day. Bye. Bye. <laughs>
In most cases, each round of the game culminates in a should we wait or should we go question as tactical information is presented, such as which direction patrols will travel or if an event will create an optimal opportunity to strike. Other than an initial strategy discussion, the game is quite tactical and will often present you with an obvious choice or two as to how to proceed. Your real enemy in the game is time, where the longer you wait to achieve your goals, the more dangerous your enemy gets. Each round the enemies will spawn from a handful of points on the map, and with each spawn the odds of drawing a stronger enemy increases. Having four enemies in a small room really restricts your options, and often forces you to make some drastic moves, opting to set off the alarm with a grenade blast in order to clear the way to your objective. Another cool aspect of V-Commandos are the operations which feature a series of chained-together levels. As operatives play throughout the operation, they can be presented with the opportunity to split up, where more than one level can be approached at a time to advance the operation objectives, provided you have the table space to accommodate two maps at once. One other possible critique of V-Commandos is its playability as a cooperative game. I feel the game works better as players managing the group of operatives as opposed to each player controlling their own commando, akin to This War of Mine, Seventh Continent, or other cooperative games with a fixed group of player characters. The game's structure really lends to discussing the group's response to the current situation, so having each player control one commando might lead to some quarterbacking or alpha gaming, where I'd instead opt to have each player discuss what the team should do, and then work through executing the plan unit by unit. In any case, V Commandos is currently on Kickstarter as a deluxe edition. The major upgrade seems to be the addition of miniatures to the game, although they've also added some cool things like an XP system and campaigns. I'm mostly excited that the Kickstarter offers a new chance for players to get a copy of the game, since it's been notoriously difficult to find the last few years, and through the reprint they seem to be making all the past expansions as well as new content available. The expansions offer new missions, new equipment, and new operatives and skills to choose from. If you're not into the World War II theme, Triton Noir has also obtained the license to Assassin's Creed and have designed a game that's quite similar mechanically to V Commandos with that IP's setting and narrative, and that game should be available for late pledge in the very near future. I did stream V Commandos this past Sunday, so you'll be able to get some gameplay footage by visiting our Twitch channel of Dyson Men YQR, where we stream on a pretty regular basis. We're also running a fundraiser for a kid's help phone, where each dollar you donate earns you an entry to win a copy of both Root and Fort, kindly provided by Leader Games. You can get details for that from our Twitter account, of Dyson Men with underscores underneath all those words, thank you Ryan, or by catching us on Twitch throughout the month. I hope your long weekend went well, and you have a great April. It's Rob and Anna Marie from the Meeple Dungeon. Hello. And uh, for this week on What You've Been Playing Wednesdays, we're going to be talking about two games. And this past weekend was the Easter long weekend, but we also celebrated my birthday. And uh, yeah, one of the games I got for my birthday from Anna Marie and the Boys was Space Base from AEG, designed by John D. Clare. It's a game I've wanted to play forever, and we finally got it. It's for two to five players, plays in about 60 minutes. Uh, and from a theme point, you are a Commodore of a giant space station, and you're going to be drafting new ships onto your fleet to patrol the 12 sectors of space. Um, you're going to have 12 starting ships in your base, and it's a, it's a dice game where it's, it's got some pretty cool mechanics going on. You're going to be rolling dice, 
and you're going to be activating your ships uh, on your space base from 1 to 12 uh, with those two die. So on your on your roll, if you roll a 3 and a, a 6 uh, per se, you could activate your 3 ship and your 6 ship, giving you maybe victory points or gold or things like this. Or you could combine them together and activate your 9 ship, which would technically probably give you something stronger because they kind of get the higher the number, the 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 harder it is to roll, like rolling two sixes, you know, is a lesser chance to uh, to to acquire a 12, right? So your 12 ship generally has a, a, a stronger power. And that was actually one of the elements that I really liked in the game, yeah. is that you had the option to choose either, you know, two, your, your three or your, or your seven, or add them together, because it basically, you could... You could have a better option in one of those or two of those slots, and I, yeah. I liked that. Yeah, that in and there. and as it goes, as you acquire more gold and things like this, every turn after you roll your dice, you're able to buy a new ship. You have the chance to buy a new ship, and there's three different levels of ships: level ones, twos, and threes. And the the more gold you have, the more uh, or the better ships you can buy. And when you do buy a new ship, say I, I buy a, a new number six ship, I would replace my six ship. It would be sent out into space thematically. And it would flip around, and it would, it would tuck underneath the, the top of the board, and it would show just a little red top uh, action that is now an additional thing that I could do on my sixth slot because the new ship has taken its spot on the on the space base, and it's sent out into space. So the next time I roll a six, I could use or I could get the, uh, fire up the the new ship and activate the one that's out in space. No. Not oh, quite. no, no. The way you activate the one that's out in space would be on my roll, which is right. another cool aspect of the game. Yes. So when I roll, if I were to roll, say, a four and a two. Right, yes. Uh, you could activate your, the if you had any um, ships on the top part of your board that you had flipped over, so you'd upgrade it. If you've already upgraded, say, your four and your two or your six, you would have that little red slot. Yes, it's and for, yeah, you can activate it on your opponent's turn. So if they roll a, a, a six... You could use that uh, to activate your right. ship out in deep space. The ones That's that right. are out there. Yes. And it's nice, again, because your opponent gets to choose how they do it as well. Yeah. So they might have really awesome things at four and two, but nothing at six. So then they get to use both yeah. of them. Yeah. And it's just, yeah, it's a fun a fun way to do that. I really it's a, like it. It's a great game. And yeah. it's, um, it's really cool. Uh, you're trying to get to 40 points. The first person to get to 40 points triggers the end of the game, and then everyone gets an equal amount of turns to try to... To uh, win the game, and we did that in our first game. You got to forty-three or something, and I still had a chance to catch up, and I got to thirty-seven or something. It was like a really that. close game. Yeah, and then in the second <laughs> game, it was a bit of a, a landslide, landslide for you. win for me. Yeah, I got to forty. I, I just had the right combination it was like of things. Forty-five going on. to fifteen or something. Yeah, it was crazy, <laughs> but it, it felt good for me. And you know, I didn't even mind because I, I feel. This game actually went pretty quickly, and I think it does. Uh, it's, and yeah, to be honest, way quicker than sixty minutes yeah. when you're playing with two players. We, three we've or only four, done maybe. Yeah, if it's three, four, five players, I could see the sixty minutes. But with two players, it's about half an yeah. hour. But even still, I think that would be a good time frame for that. And I feel that because we didn't invest like an hour and a half in it, I didn't care that I lost like fifteen to forty-five. No, because no. it's going so fast. Right, and then you, you can didn't just spend play an hour to get decimated. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, exactly. I, I totally. It might have been a little more devastating had I been trying at a strategy but there, you can't really strategize too much because it's a dice rolling luck yeah it's, it's a luck, luck game, for right? sure but but you do get to choose what you do exactly. with that luck so it's it's not you're not just 
uh, given one option. You can you basically have three options you can do. Yeah. Split up the dice or use them together to however you want. Yeah. And yeah, you're using the gold that you get to buy better ships and you're constantly replacing ships. And then when you roll, that's another thing I like about this game is every time you're rolling, I'm looking to see what I can use your roll to do on my side, right? Yeah. And, and vice versa. So that's a cool aspect of this game. Yeah. At the end of the day, we really, really like Space Base. We're going to play it a lot space more space, here yeah. uh, over the next uh, few weeks. But uh, another game we played is Startups from Oink Games. And we love the Oink Games. They're the, those tiny little games that you see at uh, the local game store in little box with bright colors. This one is called Startups, and it's all about uh, kind of buying or, well, kind of trading stocks in, uh, like, what are they called? Like... Uh, like uh, software companies, like made-up software companies, and you're you're trying to become, you know, the mogul of these right. software companies. And yeah, is there something you like about that game? Yeah, you know, we it's a three to seven player, and we played it yeah, two player. We played it two, and it does like, work. You know, it, try it, it works. It's not it's it's I, not designed that way, but it does work because it, you do uh, you do remove cards from the game. Yeah, the game says you're supposed to take out five cards, but yeah. I think actually I was thinking about it. If we played it again, just two player, if we took out ten cards, I think it would make it better. Right, because, because it, it you, then you can't count cards. You can't figure out how yeah. many of are left of a certain kind of cards. You, just randomly you can't take tell out who 10. has what. Yeah, yeah. And you won't know how many of each suit there are. And no, the game the totally yeah. it totally works with two players, but it is designed for three to three yeah. or, or more. But yes, it does work. I'm awful at strategizing in this game. Every time I think I'm like, yeah, okay, I got this. I think I'm going to do well. Bam, didn't do well. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <clears throat> right when you think you got a yeah. good strategy going, it just you you get turned upside down, and it's it's kind of a difficult game to explain. Where you're you ever on your turn, you are are picking up a card, and it's going to have a. One of the six uh, factions, one of the six on, factions on you got to decide whether you want to keep it or put it into the market. And if you put it into the market, you have to put money on it. And it more intense or more uh, makes your opponent want to pick it up because money in this this game is uh, tight. very, very tight. And important for the and end very of the game important. too. So we highly recommend it. Yeah. Any Oink game that we've played, we've loved. We highly recommend it. But again, we are way out of time already. Um, so again, this has been Rob and Anna Marie from The Meeple Dungeon. And you can see us on Twitter and YouTube. We just started up our new YouTube channel, and I did an unboxing on there. You can go take a look at that for a game that we're going to be playing uh, this week and talking about next week. And that's it. We're out of time. We'll see you next week. Cheers. See ya. What up, gamers? I'm Jason. I'm Julie, and together we're Dyson Dragons. You can find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram at Dyson Dragons, and Twitter at Dyson Dragon. Yes, and this is What You've Been Playing Wednesday. So, Julie, what have we been playing this past week? Well, we've been playing a game called The Girl and the Robot. Yes, so this is done by Flying Carpet Games. They are the publisher. It is based on the video game of the same name. And what's really cool is they are a local publisher. Always happy to support uh, game designers and publishers in the community. Now this game is for two to four players, ages 10 and up. Yes, it's a, a team game, we would say. Well, you can play it two players, 1v1. You can also play it 2v1 or 2v2. Now, one thing that uh, 
I want to get out of the way. We, we've also been playing uh, Marvel U. No, I was going to say United. That's coming, but not yet. It is Marvel Champions Galaxy's Most Wanted. So we're going to start with uh, the girl and the ro robot. We'll start with the negatives first. And the fact that this really isn't a two-player game. It really isn't. Uh, I mean, we tried. We tried to play it. Um, there's there's a couple of different things that, that make this not a two-player game. And where we can see it, where it would work better at a three- or a four-player game. I think really this would be best at a four-player count, personally. I, I have to agree with you because there's the girl and the evil queen. And each of them has a robot that works with them when you're playing... The two-player version, you're on your alone side. When you are playing with the robots, you are on the together side, so it would actually change your abilities. And one of the reasons why we say that it is not really a good two-player game is just some of the strategy doesn't work well at two players. I know your major issue was the way the demons go back into the deck once they've been first revealed. Yeah, I don't know if it's something badly written uh, in the rules. I don't or... think it's badly written in the rules, but... I just think it's the way it works, but at two players it doesn't work. So you can basically it says you you once you beat a demon, uh, you put it back anywhere in the deck, which means in the two player game you can put it right back on top, which means for sure that the next player has to face a demon. Uh, so it's a little frustrating. Um, and and then with my character, I was playing the girl. Um, some of her powers just really don't make any sense at a at a. Two, or they're not that they don't make any sense. They're not very practical at a two-player game. And I have to agree with you. It's the same with the Evil Queen. It's also the same with some of the cards. Uh, for example, you will end up in certain cases where you have revealed the top cards of the deck. You may have actually revealed the demon. So that you know there's a demon there. There are cards and abilities that will let you put two cards over that demon. Now that's great in a three or four player game because what you'll be doing is if it's a four player game, you'll draw a card maybe. Well, no, you will draw a card. Your partner will then draw a card. It will then be on the other team to draw the demon. Now the other thing that may happen in is that you could draw a card. It could be another player that on the other team that will draw a card, leaving that demon for the second player on the opposite team. The same thing will happen in a three-player game if you line it up. You're going to draw a card and you know the demon's going to end up going to someone on the opposing team. That just doesn't happen in the two-player game. The other thing is there are cards like the Lone Wolf, which are supposed to let you use your lone abilities when you're playing in a team. So you can see there's just a couple of hiccups like that. And I got to say, I love the art of the game. It's beautiful. The lore book is really cool. And this is definitely a game that I can't say is, is a bad game. I, I enjoyed our plays of it, even though it didn't work great at two players. This is another one that we're going to have to do a review or a revisit. We probably have like three or four games that we'll try yeah. to... Post-pandemic when we can when we actually play games with other people. Yes. So if you're interested in The Girl and the Robot, I highly recommend checking it out if you can play with the three or four players. If two is your standard player count, then you probably want to pass on this one, unfortunately. Yeah, so Marvel Champions. Yes, the galaxy's most wanted. We are starting the Guardians of the Galaxy area of the game. We've got the latest expansion, which is a campaign expansion that adds four new bosses to the game. Well, five, there are two versions of the Collector, as well as Rocket and Groot. And this is, of course, published by Fantasy Flight Games and designed by the same designers as all of the other expansions. Rocket is awesome. I really enjoyed playing Rocket. He's a lot of fun. I didn't have as much fun playing Rocket as you. 
I have to say, I did not have much fun playing Groot as you did currently. I don't know. I think you had some. You've been having some bad card juju. No, I just looking at the campaign, and I haven't taken a look at the cards that are coming for uh, like Gamora, Star Lord, Drax. We even get to see Agent Venom coming as well from the comics. I was worried that Galaxy's Most Wanted was going to be designed as a Rocket and Groot campaign. It's not. It's really a Guardians of the Galaxy campaign. I think I've just been in the situation where I've had the character that has the scenario that really favors them the least. Because in the second scenario, when you discard cards, it goes into the collector's collection. That really doesn't work well for Rocket. And in the first scenario, well, thwarting is a big part of it and Groot doesn't thwart well unless you get his cards out. And I didn't get any of his Groot cards. I just got the defense aspect, which there are some cool ones, but I feel that that deck needs to be tweaked to be a, a lot more fun. So needless to, needless to say, we have to play this some more. Uh, I think, uh, as Jason said, I've had more fun with it than uh, than he has. I was a little concerned when it was time for me to play Groot because Jason really didn't have fun. But uh, I guess the cards were a little bit more in my favor. And as Jason said, maybe the scenario helped out. So I'm having fun. Jason seems like not so much. Wait and see how you know the rest oh, of the campaigns go. And 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 our review will probably be out the day after this comes yeah, out. Yeah, the review will probably be the day after this comes out. It's not that I'm not having fun. I thought I would have more fun with Galaxy's Most Wanted. And just from the design of the heroes, there's a lot to like there. But Jason's just not my wanting favorite heroes. you want Star-Lord. That's not it. There, I really thought that Rocket and Groot would be some of my favorite heroes. And at this point... We are about uh, two missions in. We're going to have completed the whole thing uh, by the end. They're just not my favorites. They're yeah. at the bottom of my list. Oh, okay. Well, stay tuned for the review to see if you like more. Again, thanks for having us on What You've Been Playing Wednesdays. You can find us on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Have a great week. And yeah. don't forget, keep playing games. Hey there, it's Norm from Bridge City Board Gamers and Cardboard Conjecture, and I'd like to take this opportunity to say thank you so much to all of the content creators of the What You've Been Playing cast that contribute to this fun, fun project. I'm so proud of it. And for those of you who take the time to listen to all of this wonderful content, thank you so much. And remember, keep your stick on the ice and take care out there, eh? This episode of What You've Been Playing Wednesday has been brought to you by the very hopeful people at Cardboard Conjecture. We're just hoping that it doesn't snow again. Because summer's fun, even if it's two, three days. Okay, maybe one. <laughs>